Welcome, everybody, to yet another spinoff of the Words of Prey podcast. I swear, this is turning into the Tommy Westfall universe over here. Um, But this time, um, Brian Young and I have decided that we will teach you how to do really important writing things in a short 15-minute podcast. So it'll be how to blank in 15 minutes. And today's episode will be how to write authentic dialogue in 15 minutes. And so to tell you a little bit about who we are and why we're um, not experts at what we're talking about, um, I will let Ryan do give a brief introduction of who he is and why he ought to be talking about this stuff. Hi, I'm Brian Young. I use dialogue every day when I speak to people. Um, In all seriousness, though, I'm a writer and a teacher. I have written a number of novels. Uh, My latest was in the Battletech universe. I've written four franchises uh, ranging from Robotech and Battletech to Star Wars and Doctor Who. And I teach writing at the University of Utah and really like talking about it. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about how to write great dialogue. Great, Brian. I, I think you might know what you're talking about. And I, um, I'm the editor of Agora Books, um, which specializes in um, crime fiction and horror with um, unique social and cultural viewpoints. And I also teach writing. I teach at the LIU Brooklyn um, Polk MFA program, as well as the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing. Um, and I've been a freelance editor for more years than I care to count. And um, I'm, I'm eager to give opinions about writing. So I think, I think this is going to be fun. So, so Brian, why don't you tell us, how do we write authentic dialogue? I think the number one rule that I give people when we talk about dialogue and writing it authentically is to make sure that the characters are speaking to each other and not the audience. There is nothing worse than that really stilted dialogue where, you know, one character says to the other, you know, as you know, we've run this experiment four times and if it fails, we're losing our funding and I'll lose my home, Bill. And then Bill says, yeah, and I think I'll lose this, this and this because those two characters, if this is the fourth time they've run their experiment and they know that something's on the line, their dialogue is going to sound more like, we have to make this work this time, right? Like, but they're talking to each other, to the audience no, at that you point. didn't consider that maybe Bill has some short-term memory issues. Uh, fair enough, but that would be character work and not dialogue. Well, no, that's one of the most frequent things that I, um, I, I have to say that that stilted talking to the audience as opposed to to the characters um, is is number one thing that I find in um, in editing that I have to fix. And the other thing is just stilted or overly formal dialogue, because, you know, even even with the information that the characters probably already have that you just gave us, they probably are not going to address each other um, in the way that you just said. Um, it's not like when we started the podcast, I said, well, hello, Brian, how are you this fine day? What do you think of this, Brian? Actually, you know what? I think I did. Yeah, but that was a joke. And that was, (laughs) that spoke to your character, but think about how often you use people's names, uh, in dialogue, how often you hear your name, right? How often does your sibling say, Hey brother, what's going on? Never. Um, how often, well, especially for you, Chantel, um, (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like people don't use those things regularly. They know who they're talking to and they're talking accordingly. One of the great examples of this dialogue 
that I think helps smuggle in a lot of great exposition is watch the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy goes to the bar in Nepal and he and Marion speak for the first time. They are so adamantly talking to each other and not the audience. It makes for riveting dialogue. And you get to infer so much out of it. And it's very rich. It's that old Billy Wilder, uh, you know, nugget of wisdom where it's like, you give the audience two and two, let them figure out four, and then they'll be grateful for it because it forces them to be active participants in the narrative. No, that's absolutely true. And I know that's one of your favorite scenes to teach as well. Um, But I I think that when two characters have an established relationship, whether it's, you know, our friends, Bill and and whoever else it was at the nuclear power plant or, or Indian Marion, um, there becomes a set of shorthand or things that one person knows and they don't have to say the whole sentence or they can just say part of it. Um, and, and I think it often does a disservice to the reader that the author thinks that everything has to be spelled out. Um, but so much of life, and I'm sure someday we'll do an episode on, you know, like characterization and stuff, but so much of life, human life is shorthand. We're picking up cues, whether they're visual or verbal, um, and, and to not include those things in your writing, really does not appropriately encompass the human condition. So when you're doing dialogue, there are going to be these things that you're just going to pick up from context um, or pick up from tone that it makes the reader feel smarter to be able to pick these things up or even just to be wonder what is behind that. They don't need to know everything on page one of dialogue. One of the most interesting things to do as far as dialogue goes and to notice is that when real people speak, they don't speak in complete sentences often. They will change gears. They will stop mid-thought and go back. This is something that I learned back in my days working on documentaries. When you work on documentaries, in order to sell it, one of the deliverables that you have to have is a transcript of the documentary. And I was working in indie documentaries, so I, had to, I couldn't afford to hire anyone to do these transcripts myself. And I was transcribing a speech that Sean Hannity had given. And reading it on the page, you realize that he barely speaks English. And it made me realize that dialogue as spoken, if we were to hew to reality as close as possible, it wouldn't make any sense on the page. It would be very inefficient. But what we're aiming for is not real dialogue. We're aiming for realistic dialogue. And that those are two separate things when you think about reality and you think about story, because there's an efficiency that needs to happen in order to not tire the audience out with the dialogue. But you do want to try to get some of those ticks that people use when they are speaking. So I would highly recommend transcribing speeches or listening to people in coffee shops or going to different places and getting down the cadence of how different people speak. Um, This is a great way, I think, where watching movies helps writers a lot because you can tell when the dialogue is sharp and you can tell when there's a subtext there. Uh, Writing dialogue that's very much on the nose and people explaining exactly what it is that they're feeling is boring and banal. Putting those things in the subtext really uh, invites your reader, whether that's of a screenplay or a novel, to um, participate in the story. 
No, I completely agree. And I think that one of the best overhearing, whether it's on film or just in real life, if you can safely these days, um, is absolutely the best thing to do. And realize also, you know, what you were saying and, and what I also said about picking up other cues, you know, not just context cues, but tonal cues, body language cues, physical cues, and, and see how much those things are informing the interaction that you're watching. Yeah. I think that's something that's really important in setting tone. It's really, you know, people will say, don't use adverbs. And I don't necessarily um, advocate that you should never use adverbs. I think that there are plenty of adverbs you have to use, and there's plenty of adverbs that that need to be in there, but you should use them sparingly. And um, one example I'll often give is the dialogue is really boring when you say, you know, bring me pictures of Spider-Man, J. Jonah Jameson said angrily. And that adverb doesn't really help that. And this is a little bit about speech tags, but it goes to your point about context. Is that more exciting or is it more exciting to say J. Jonah Jameson pounded his fist on the desk and pointed an accusing finger at Peter Parker and then open the dialogue tag? I need pictures of Spider-Man. You see what I mean? Like where yeah, no. where you can get rid of the exclamation point, you can get rid of the angrily said, and then you can put those context clues in there in the dialogue tags. And that helps support your dialogue very cleanly and in a way that editors like to see, I, I presume. I, I I agree. And I think that I think that really the core of that adverb, you know, don't include adverbs um, in the dialogue tags, honestly, is going to that more than anything else, because angrily should be or you know i think the only time you necessarily need that is sometimes with sarcasm um because if it's on the page and not delivered verbally it can be hard to tell if a line is intended with sarcasm or humor in some circumstances but i think the rest of the time everything should be extrapolated from context you know i shouldn't need to be told he said it angrily the context of what he said or how he was saying it um, as as you elucidated with that really good example, tell me immediately whether he's angry. I mean, he certainly wasn't, you know, tap dancing on the top of the desk. But why wasn't he? Well, he could be. And that would be interesting as well. But I don't think he'd, he'd deliver that line angrily if he were tap dancing on top of the desk. Um, so I, I think most of that, it's just, like you said, it's kind of a lazy writing. Instead of showing us a thing or giving us the context in the dialogue itself, we don't have to do any of that because we said, oh, he's angry. There's there's, um, something that I think writers need to consider with dialogue as well is that you're working on sort of three different levels. Every line of dialogue is something that needs to be motivated. How, How often do you say something and go, why did I say that? What motivated me to say that? Was that the wrong thing to say? And you sort of, um, try to figure out if you had said the right thing, but you felt in the moment as you said it, that it was absolutely the right thing so that every line of dialogue a character takes is an action that should be motivated with the same effort that you would put in making sure the audience found it believable that they would throw a punch because the majority of actions and decisions your character are making aren't those, those punch throwing ones. It's what they're saying. And those are very conscious, important decisions. But you want to make sure that there's um, three levels to every line of dialogue. That first is what they're saying on the surface. That second is what they're really saying or, or mean to say but can't, that subtext there. And then the third is those things that they can't say 
the, the, the things that are hiding behind what they're saying. And if you can imbue your dialogue with all three of those levels as often as possible, um, it's, it's really, really fantastic, right? One of my favorite sort of obvious examples of this is the scene in Sideways where, where Paul Giamatti is explaining essentially what it would take to love him as a human being and what sort of love he needs by describing the careful nature of how grapes that make Pinot Noir are, um, that how they have to be cultivated. So on the surface, he's talking about wine. In the subtext, he's talking about how to love himself. And in the thing that he can't tell himself is that he doesn't feel like he deserves to be loved that, that way. Well, I, I think that's a wonderful example, but I also don't want our listeners to think that every um, piece of dialogue has to be imbued with enough, you know, thought where we've suddenly transported ourselves to a Victorian drawing room and no one can ever say what they mean. I think that there are circumstances where perfectly basic lines of dialogue are necessary. Um, but I think you're right in these scenes that are supposed to be imbued with more meaning, um, thinking through those levels is, is really key and a great example of doing it. Something else that I think that you said that was really important earlier that I'd like to circle back to is that each character needs to sound different. And yeah. sometimes that can be really difficult because we all have our own cadence and way of speaking. Um, I mean, we, we kind of have a fingerprint that's vocal where we tend to put together sentences in a certain way when we talk. Um, and, and each person is different. And so it's very hard sometimes, I think, for a writer to write a different cadence. And I mean, you have given some brilliant and insightful tips during this. I have no idea at what point in time we are at now. Um, but I think my best tip for dialogue is simply to read it out loud. Because so many yeah. things that you're telling people to think about as they're writing it, you can diagnose after you've written it and see if it's working or not. I mean, that that when I was talking about it being overly formal, you can tell that immediately. You know, That's what I call the Tennessee Williams method. That's how he would write dialogue is he would just repeat it out loud to himself and then alter it minutely every every iteration just to make sure that it sounds natural enough for him. Right. And, and you can also tell very, you know, if you take away a dialogue tag, you know, if you... Sue's speaking here and Bill's speaking there. Can you tell, do they sound different when you read that, them out loud? That's one thing I think people should pay more attention to is, is the various circumstances of who their character is and why they're talking the way they are. The younger they are, the shorter the sentences they're going to use. The more educated they are, the bigger words they're going to use. Um, their vocabulary is going to come from their world, right? Sometimes I, I don't think, I think people draw on idioms and cliches in their own speech and then imbue all of their characters with those same idioms. But how awkward would it be to put idioms uh, about water and fishing and things like that in the mouth of Luke Skywalker who grew up in a desert, right? You can learn so much about a character and uh, uh, based on the idioms they used, based on the culture that they grew up in, the the geography that they grew up in. There are so many different ways that you can make characters sound differently in that way by assigning them the, the speech style that you do that people can, can learn from them, even subconsciously where they're from, what their education level is, what their socioeconomic status is, their age, um, things like that. And that 
you need to you need to really understand that about each character that you're writing and see how they interact and play with each other. I think that was a really, really good point, Brian. I I, I think that so many people, again, you know, I, I've made this point already in our very, very short podcast, but um, I, I think people overlook that shorthand that is so much of the human experience. And, and by neglecting these things and by putting everything clearly on the page, I mean, it's kind of like, by doing that, imagine, you know, you could be writing anything, but in, in this example, I'm going to say you're writing a mystery. And it's kind of like telling everybody the solution on page one, you know, in dialogue, it tells you so much about relationships with people. And even if they don't have an existing relationship, it tells you so much about somebody you've just met. And I think particularly writing a protagonist, it has to be kind of like meeting a new friend for the first time. And you only learn certain things and we pick up cues based on, you know, what the person has said rather than being handed a resume and a driver's license and their entire, you know, school uh, records and knowing what they do at work. And we don't get that information when we meet somebody for a first time. I think it's more telling. It's more interesting to instead of tell the reader or tell the audience they really respected authority than it is to have them have a different style of speaking when an authority figure walks in the room than when they were there without the authority figure or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're the sort of kid who will swear to their friends, but as soon as their mother comes within earshot, it's they've got squeaky clean language, things like that, where you can actually use their dialogue to contrast situations to show us a little bit deeper who the character is. No, I truly think if somebody is having problems with dialogue, I highly recommend reading a lot of books on screenwriting and reading a lot of screenplays. Um, Because, you know, think about it. I I think screenwriters, um, of which you and I number among them, kind of sometimes have to write with one arm tied behind their back, uh, metaphorically, because there's not a lot that you can do with prose. There's not a lot of, you know, he said angrily or if any. Um, so you kind of have to find those ways to convey that without the prose. Um, and so then you just realize how much you can use that prose to emphasize or direct the reader when it can work kind of without it completely. I think that's more than our 15 minutes. It probably is. I, I'm going to be amazed if we ever stick to 15 minutes on any of these. Um, you know, maybe we could have a contest and, and give away something if we ever actually make it um but it was wonderful to talk to you about um dialogue and i hope that this helped our at least one listener um somehow yeah no it was a pleasure all right until next time when we unlock more secrets of the universe or writing